Chapter 6 of The Photographer's Evidence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Walker, Kent, Connecticut. JohnWalkerVoice.com. Chapter 6 of The Photographer's Evidence by Nick Carter. Patsy is forced to sleep. When they had him bound to their satisfaction, Patsy's captors laid him on his back and looked him over. He saw too late how it had happened. Close to the rock was a thick bunch of bushes. His judgment had been perfect, for it had taken him to the exact spot where there was an easy way down to the gulch. It was the way these men always took to get there, but unluckily for the detective, they had posted sentinels at that spot. His captors had been within reach of him from the moment he had arrived. Why they had not attacked him at once could only be guessed. Probably they were so surprised that they didn't know what to do at first. And maybe they thought he might be a prospector, or anybody but a detective, who would go away as soon as he had taken a look. Well, by gosh, muttered one of them, who seemed to be the leader of the sentinels, I reckon this'll make some difference with what they're jawing about darn there. Patsy tried a bluff. I'd like to know what you mean, he began indignantly. I haven't done anything to you, and we won't do a thing to you, interrupted the leader harshly. Oh, no, we won't touch you. Pick him up, boys. Two of the men took Patsy on their shoulders, and they went stumbling down the side of the gulch. Snell and the others looked up in the greatest surprise when they heard the sentinels coming. All the men got to their feet for some had been sitting, and guns were shown freely. "'What you got thar?' demanded the chief of the gang. "'The spy,' replied the leader of the sentinels. "'Find him up thar?' "'Yes, behind that rock. He crept up just as if he knowed there was something to see below. The skunk probably went on the sentinel. He was put on to the thing by them galoots,' and he pointed to Snell and his companion. "'That's it!' roared more than one angrily. "'So, this is what you call being on the square, is it?' exclaimed the chief, turning to Snell's companion fiercely. "'You make a deal to meet us here alone to talk business, and you give a tip to the prying detective, do you? And do you think you'll get an out in it with us whole skins?' "'Well, I don't think.' The ruffians were growling angrily and watching their leader. It needed only his word to make every one of them empty their revolvers into Snell and his companion. Snell was horribly frightened. "'I don't know anything about this,' he stammered. I, I, "'I give you my word of honor, rats!' interrupted the leader scornfully. "'What's your word of honor worth?' "'Plug em full of holes,' cried another. The men raised their weapons, and it did look as though there would be a double murder on the spot. "'He's right,' said Patsy quietly. The leader turned swiftly toward him. "'What's that, you say?' he demanded. "'Who's right?' "'The man who just spoke. "'Him?' pointing to Snell. I don't know who he is, and I suppose you didn't, don't know him nother, pointing to Snell's companion. I certainly don't. It was plain enough that nobody believed the detective, but he breathed easier. His interruption had gained time. The men were not so likely now to shoot in a hurry and ask questions afterward. Patsy had been set on the ground with his back to a rock. Snell's companion was looking at him sharply. It was to him the leader spoke next. I suppose, Jim Leonard, he said, that you've got a word of honor to stack up that you'd never seen this man for, huh? 
He's a stranger to me, replied Leonard. I never saw him before, and we took all the pains we could to keep from being followed. Snell's been in the town three days without seeing anybody who was on his track. Why should anybody be on his track anyway? Why, roared the leader, to get us behind bars, you fool. Ain't that reason enough? He turned again to the detective. Perhaps you'll tell us how ye come here, he said. Certainly, replied Patsy. I saw these two men in town. It was plain enough they had good business of some kind on. I took them for prospectors and thought they'd struck a good thing somewhere. It wasn't a straight thing to do, but I followed them to see what they'd got. This was a story that was very easy for the rough Westerners to believe. Evidently, they were struck by it, for they looked at each other doubtfully, all except the leader. He turned his eyes from Snell to his companion, and then to Patsy, and remarked calmly, "'You lie, every one of ye.' Then he addressed his men. "'We won't go off at half-cock,' said he. "'These geezers have done us dirt, but maybe we better talk it over before we do anything.' He spoke then to the sentinels. "'Stay here and use your guns if any of them tries to scoot. We'll go further down the gulch and chin about it.' The sentinels nodded, and the leader and the rest of his men went down the ravine until they were out of sight. Now and then their voices could be heard as they argued, but what they said could not be told. Once they sent a couple of men up to take Snell's companion, Jim Leonard, down to talk with him. They sent him back after half an hour and continued their discussion until the sun was setting. Then they all came slowly back up to the spot where Patsy lay. The young man, who had been speaking when Patsy was captured, was talking with the leader. "'I'm sure it's the best thing,' he was saying. "'Well, Harry,' returned the leader, "'you've got a sound nut in your shoulders, and you can talk better than most of us, but I don't know. Howsomever, we'll try it. As you say, the main thing is to get the stuff.' "'We certainly can't get the ransom if we don't give him a chance to pay it,' said Harry. The leader nodded. "'After dark,' he said shortly. It grew dark early in that deep ravine, but it was not till fully two hours had passed that the gang began to move. In the meantime, they smoked and talked in low voices, or lay on the ground and snoozed. At last, the leader stood up and said, "'Bring him along.' Patsy had tried at first to see if he could free his hands. In the darkness he tried again, but it was of no use. These fellows had known how to tie a knot, and they kept the noose around his neck, with a warning that they wouldn't mind leaving him here for the crows to pick. That was only too plain. They cared little for the detective. It was Snell and Leonard that they were interested in. The gang returned to Helena in pairs, mostly. Two went beside Patsy, and one each with Snell and Leonard. The rest trailed along, some in advance, some behind. When they came to the edge of the town, they scattered over different streets. No one meeting any of them would have suspected that a score of men were coming into the city together. Patsy's guides took the noose from around his neck and cautioned him that if he tried to break away, they would shoot. The caution wasn't necessary, for the detective had no idea of doing anything except stick to the gang until he had found out all about the business that had brought them together. They came at length to a house in a quiet street. Patsy's guides took him in there, opening the front door with a key, and led him into the kitchen. 
The house was dark when they arrived, but it had gas, and this was lit. Curtains were pulled down at the windows, and they waited in silence. Others came in from time to time. The last to arrive were Snell and Leonard, and the men who had been walking with them. It was understood that they had been to Bronco Bill's, where Snell had hidden the stuff. When all were there, the leaders said, Now, if you're ready for business at last, let's get at it, without any palaver. We're ready, responded Leonard. Prove it. Leonard glanced at Snell, who slowly drew a wallet from his pocket and took from it a number of $1,000 bills. The eyes of the men in the gang flashed greedily. I'd rather it was gold, muttered the leader, but looks straight enough. It's perfectly straight, said Snell, closing the wallet. Wow, but what are you doing now? You brought that stuff to hand over, didn't you? Certainly, when you deliver the goods. It was Snell who responded, and his voice was calm now. He seemed to feel that his victory was won. Leonard, on the other hand, looked worried. "'Guess that's right, then,' remarked the leader. "'We've got the goods, and, well, we'll show that we can meet you. Harry?' He interrupted himself suddenly with a glance at Patsy. "'Won't do,' he added, in a decided tone. "'Not just yet. We don't want no witnesses to this proceeding.' I don't profess to say that this geezer's a detective, but dead men tell no tales. I wished we'd bored holes in him out there in the hills. Better not do any shooting here, suggested one of the men. Right, but there's a good way, just as quiet and peaceable as a graveyard. Take him to the basement. What? exclaimed Harry. You wouldn't do that? Wouldn't I? Of course I would, replied the leader harshly. You go and get the goods, Harry, and mind your own business. Two or three of you gag the geezer and tie his feet. Then take him to the basement, hear? They heard. Patsy saw young Harry's face pale as he went slowly from the room. Others proceeded promptly to obey the leader. I wonder if my time really has come at last, thought the detective. He could make no resistance, and tried none. It was useless, too to bluff the men or to try to plead with them. They stuffed his own handkerchief in his mouth and tied a cord tightly around his ankles. Then they lifted him, while the rest of the gang and Snell and Leonard looked silently on, and took him from the room by a door that opened upon a stairway. Down the stairs and along a short passage they carried the helpless detective, and at last laid him upon a cemented floor. Not a ray of light was there. The men stumbled in the darkness as if they were not familiar with the place. "'Say your prayers, Tenderfoot,' remarked one of them with a harsh chuckle as he started away. "'He's got nerve,' said another, noticing that no sound came from their victim's throat. "'More likely he's scared silly,' returned the first. One of them was feeling along the wall. "'Hurry up,' said the other. "'It's all right, I found it,' was the reply from a corner. "'Full on,' said the first. "'So tis.' Come on, then. They went out. Patsy heard the door close behind them. Then their steps stumbling along the passage and upstairs. At last he heard the opening and shutting of the door at the top. The sound of the leader's rough voice came to him, evidently asking a question. Is the trick done? Or something of that sort. He could imagine the men's short answer. Then, 
Probably the gang got down to business again with Snell and Leonard. It would do no good to try and tell what Patsy's thoughts and feelings were. He had been unlucky enough before to get captured by men who meant to kill him. He had worked himself free, or Nick or Chick had come just in time to rescue him. Nick was thousands of miles away. Chick wasn't on this strange case at all. The cords upon his hands and legs were very firm, and yet the young man felt no despair. Somehow, he thought, and he went to rubbing his back as well as he could against the hard cellar floor. He thought he might wear the cords through in time. In time, good heavens, would there be time? What was that he smelled? An enemy more fearful than the bullets of assassins. He understood now what he had been doing when the man had been feeling along the way. The villain had been hunting for the gas jet. He had found it and turned the cock full on. The close cellar was filling rapidly with the poisonous stuff. Patsy's throat tickled. He coughed and partly dislodged his gag, but it was only to take more gas into his lungs. With all his might, he wriggled so that the cord might be cut or worn enough to break. He could make no effect on it, so far as he could tell. Every strain simply made the cord cut deeper into his flesh, and he was as helpless as before. The poisoned atmosphere choked him. He felt his head whirling. The whole house seemed to be going round and around. In the confusion of his mind, he seemed to hear voices in a loud discussion. They ceased. There was no sound except a fearful roaring as if he lay at the bottom of Niagara Falls. And then a dreadful feeling that he might as well give it all up. A man had to die sometime. One time was probably as good as another. He had done what Nick told him to do as well as he knew how. He hoped that Nick and Chick would somehow get at this gang. Patsy was very tired and sleepy. The whirling and the noises ceased. His brain was at rest. End of chapter 6